This is Circulating Ideas, episode number 228. I'm Steve Thomas, and in today's episode, guest host Troy Swanson chats with Jacoby Cochran, who's the host of the podcast CityCast Chicago, which was named the best of 2021 by the Chicago Reader. Circulating Ideas is brought to you with support from Synthetics Unbound and through the support of listeners just like you. Find out how you can help support the show by going to circulatingideas.com slash support. This episode of the show is brought to you by Synthetics Unbound from ProQuest and Library Thing. Synthetics Unbound helps public and academic libraries enrich their catalogs and discovery systems with high-interest elements, including reader's advisory, cover images, summaries, author profiles, similar books, review, and much, much more. Synthetics Unbound encourages serendipitous discovery and higher collection usage and was awarded Platinum Distinction in the Library Works 2021 Modern Library Awards. To learn more about Synthetics Unbound, visit Synthetics.com. While there, be sure to visit the Synthetics Unbound blog for news and analysis, including a breakdown of libraries' top titles and other stories of interest to the library community. Again, that's Synthetics.com to learn more about today's sponsor, Synthetics Unbound. Jacoby, welcome to Circulating Ideas. I'm very excited to talk to you because I'm a big fan of CityCast Chicago. Hey, it means a lot. Thank you for having me, Troy. For the past few years, I've been interviewing journalists, neuroscientists to talk about misinformation, all kinds of experts that can that talk to us librarians. And there's so much happening in Chicago, and I've been so impressed with CityCast Chicago. I thought you would be a great guest to have on. So I wanted to ask you about perspectives on the upcoming election. What is happening with this magic moment in the media in Chicago that I think would be great to show off? So thank you so much. And to get us started, I just wanted to ask you about yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get into this podcasting business? For sure. Again, my name is Jacoby Cochran. I'm from the south side of Chicago. Neighborhoods like Washington Heights, Gresham, Inglewood, Woodlawn. Right now, I live in Hyde Park on the south side. And for me, that's been a huge part of my identity most of my life. I'm a Chicago evangelist. When I went away to college in the grad school at Bradley University in Peoria and subsequently Syracuse to get my master's, I spent a lot of time writing about Chicago, telling stories about Chicago, learning more about the city, even as I was not here, because as somebody who was raised here, everything was normalized to me. I didn't realize how big it was, how far things expanded, how many neighborhoods there were. So I've really spent a good amount of my adult life really falling back in love and investigating the history of Chicago. And that's taken a lot of different forms. When I first got back, I was an education technologist. And so I would travel around different universities and different schools, helping freshmen and sophomores adapt to the growing online presence of their textbooks, of their educational resources, and training professors, librarians on how to use these new digital products. And uh, when I got a little stale, I kind of moved into uh, storytelling, which was my artistic outlet in the city, which allowed me to perform at all of these different venues and to capture all of these childhood and adulthood stories about my time in the city. I was also a public speaking professor at DePaul, Harold Washington. And so I had this direct interaction with students that was really cool, but also was probably the point when I realized that there's a disconnect between maybe some of the things that are happening in the city and the lived experiences of most of the people in the city. And so CityCast Chicago reached out to me or CityCast. There was no Chicago at that time. 
reached out to me in about October of 2020, still at one of the heights of the pandemic. It just gave me this vision of trying to bring local podcasting and local news together in a way that kind of gets the best of both worlds. I think so much of podcasting is personality driven and so much news is if it's not sensationally driven, it's an, an attempt to be informative. And I think in both worlds, there are pros and cons to the approach. And so CityCast was trying to see, can we capture having a host and contributors who really are personable and accessible and energized, but the stories that we cover are so vast and I think create room for people to either empathize or see themselves in the show or learn about parts of the city that like me growing up, I had no, no sense of. Right. And I think one of the things I love about CityCast, and I'm a regular NPR listener, and I listen to a range of mainstream media, but CityCast gives me something that these other venues do not. And so can you tell us, first off, what is CityCast, the broader organization, and how does that work? And then what is CityCast Chicago, and how do you see yourself as being set apart from these other outlets that are out there? That's a very good question. And it was one that I asked when I first learned from them, like, what can they bring what need were they filling in a city that you know even though i wasn't doing journalism every day i was pretty tapped in with some of the outlets that were in chicago some of the work that was being done citycast is a network of local podcasts and newsletters it's in about nine or ten cities now places like citycast houston citycast boise citycast portland and madison are cities that are coming next citycast denver was the second city to start and the goal of the company really is to leverage local talent, local voices to report on the stories in their city, whether it was this morning when I was talking with a reporter, Corley J from Crane Chicago Business and Block Club Chicago reporter Maxwell Evans and us reflecting more general stories in Chicago, what's going on with the Bears move to Arlington Heights what's going on in the community of Woodlawn that's trying to negotiate its future alongside the Obama library, the Obama center. Right. But then I just left Pilsen about 30 minutes ago where I visited a woman, Claudia Sanchez, who turned her home into a butterfly sanctuary for the Monarch butterfly over off 19th and Walcott. So city cash Chicago specifically is a small team of producers, newsletter writers, and myself, who all of us have very different vantage points on the city from being transplants, from being adult professionals here to being people like myself and our newsletter writer, Sydney, who grew up here. And what I'd argue are two very different worlds, her being a kid of Millennium Park and me being a kid of the South Side. And together, alongside so many of the amazing organizations and community leaders in activists and journalists in this city. And again, people who turn their homes into nature sanctuaries. We're trying to capture every week and every couple episodes, a really unique and beautiful story of Chicago. And I think what sets us apart is you kind of wonder what you're listening to when you listen to it. It's like, are these news journalists? Are these people who just live in the city? I think there's such a fluid sense of like what we bring to the table that you always feel informed. I don't think you feel bored. You feel like you're listening to like a real person. I never once pretended whether I was interviewing for the job or in the 380 episodes we've done that I'm an expert on Chicago. I've met in this job dozens of people 
who know this city's trivia and who know this city's history of politics and the topography of the land and the history of indigenous communities and the legacy of segregation in a way that is so much more dense and vast than my own. But I actually think my perspective is much more akin to the average Chicagoan who isn't that much tapped in with war politics and isn't that concerned with how the legacy of the city impacts their day-to-day life, but is still a Chicagoan, still deserves to know that information, still deserves to be spoken to with the level of dignity and respect that we're not just going to throw fine print at you. We're going we're gonna to break down these budgets and these public health responses and make it really accessible to the city. From the librarian perspective, I feel like you, it feels almost like coming home. It's like the conversations you'd have in your local public library, in your neighborhood library, in like our community college library, where you go from one time looking up, you know, whatever, high level SEC filings, and then you're talking about the, the issues down the street, right? And someone's cousin that used to be here. Like those are, it would just seem so familiar in that you can handle having like Stacey Davis Gates from the Chicago Teachers Union, like bringing on people that don't get that kind of exposure and still have government officials and then talk to the local podcasters about the bears, right? Exactly. That range has been really fun to me. It's taken some time to build the confidence to handle and believe that I'm capable of doing all of them. But, you know, that Stacey Davis Gates example is one of those interviews that I don't know if I'd have been able to do it the first couple months of CityCast Chicago, not only because I respect her, I'm slightly just intimidated by the work that she's done in her career, the presence she holds in this city. Um, But at the same time, if you listen to the interview, I still want to be a little playful with you. I still want to talk straight up to you. Like it is not to take anyone down or to try to prop myself up. It's more to just have a very real kind of human conversation with a point when I'm talking to the the commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health, Dr. Allison R. Woody, I want there to feel like I'm not being lectured to by a health official, but rather I'm in conversation with another neighbor in my city. I'm so grateful to all our guests who allow me to explore that tone with them because I don't know if, if that's always made available to them in the same ways. Yeah, that's great. Can you talk a little bit about that process behind the scenes? We've touched on a little bit. How do you find your stories? especially as a daily podcast. So like keeping up that pace that I was joking with you before we started, like I do maybe two or three of these a year and I feel like that's a lot. <laughs> so I don't know how you do it every day, but like, what does your team look like and how do you operate this, this system? Yeah, it, it's gotten easier as we get closer to 400 episodes. We work very collaboratively between our lead producer, Kerry Shepard, our producer, Samal Alisea, our team of producers who work throughout the national network and filling in for producers in other cities. And our hard work and newsletter writer, Sydney Mann, we're always looking at Chicago stories. I'm talking 25, 30 articles a day. And we are breaking down pretty much every piece of journalism that is put out in the city. We are on message boards. We are on Facebook groups. We are on Instagram. We are checking in with TikTok influencers. We are looking at Reddit threads. And we're asking ourselves, what are the things we want to learn about the city? What are the things that we have questions with? What are the things that... We are so uh, maybe arrogant to think that people don't have questions about them. And so we'll just kind of treat them as common knowledge rather than understanding that in this city of a little under three million people, you can't assume what information is readily available to people, what things interest people, what people have access to. And so I think we try to cast a wide net, whether that is, again, just in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about 
the Bears, we've talked about what's going on with the underground street racing scene. We've gone out to the West Side to explore North Lawndale. We've talked about a guy who was on American Ninja Warrior. And so I think by casting a wide net and trusting that people are interested in learning about so many different topics that we know we're never going to run out of anything. There's so many cultural staples, so many new things popping up. But the daily process, once we know where we're going, so you know, we're recording this on Thursday, September 8th. I've had three interviews today and each was prepared to a different level. You know, some are more conversational or review. So I try not to over-prepare, you know, one in the field. I'm going to prepare a little bit more for that because I don't want to just be staring at my phone or my notes the entire time. And then the one in the middle, if it's a longer piece, I might put a little extra time, read a book or watch a documentary about it. It took me a while to build up the confidence to know when should I just kind of go in a little cold and let the authentic ignorance that I have about the subject carry me versus when should I really over prepare because it's such a technical conversation. I need to be ready on the drop of a hat to narrate to the listener. But it's gotten to the point where it's pretty muscle memory. We've got a really good system going because our ecosystem is as healthy as it is in terms of journalism. If we get close to a deadline, we're usually able to pull something together while also taking the low hanging fruit. You know, our Friday shows are always going to be recaps of weekly news where we've been for the last month doing these neighborhood guides, you know, so for at least the next 70 three weeks, we know that we could probably rely on a community area, a neighborhood to kind of anchor us. And so you also want to balance to make sure you're working ahead where you can, building in some episodes that are easier to produce than others. But it's such a kind of beautifully organic process. And I'm so proud of the other three members of the team. Yeah. And I appreciate you giving us a little peek behind the scenes because I do think it's something, it, it seems so effortless. Like you're just sitting down and recording. And I know there's a lot more work behind the scenes than what we see. And I appreciate your point of the time it takes to really build those reflexes to get what you're coming into. So it's great. I got to ask it. I, I hate to sing it, but every week or, you know. No, nah, you got to sing it. You got to sing it. Some good news. I'm an awful singer, but. Some good news. <laughs> yes. Right. Every week different. you include the good news. Can you tell us, tell our audience about the good news? So at the end of every episode, we do a newscast where we're giving you, you know, what Alderman left this week. You know, you can maybe apply to get lead pipes removed from your home. The Chicago sky are playing tonight with a chance to go to the WNBA finals, but we also want to leave you with some good news. So whether that's an event that's coming up to see me perform or some anniversary in the city, maybe it's a street festival that's going on in your neighborhood. We just want to make sure that there are ways to be active in the city. There are ways to participate, ways to get outside. There are, there is beauty happening, whether our episode was a tearjerker or it was lighthearted. We just want to make sure every episode is reminding people of how much beauty exists in this city. And that never comes at the cost of being critical or being skeptical about our topics, but just reminding there's always a little bit of balance here. And so you're going to leave regardless of what the episode is with something to do, something to look forward to, something to cherish. And the singing Honestly, until I started hearing myself every day on mic, I didn't realize how much I sung, but 
just throughout the day, I'm like, time to get out of bed, gonna light a candle. <laughs> she gotta put the battery in my camera. I'm just <laughs> randomly singing just my day-to-day task. And so it was a natural fit for me to introduce that into the show. And it's been cool for them to give me the space to try different things, different transition phrases, different melodies. That For it to be such a cool city cast company with this goal of you know systematizing to some degree local podcasts and a newsletter each city especially chicago has such a individual feel taste and sound to it and you're not going to hear a host singing their newscast in any other show in city cast because that's just a very kobe thing and so that's why we do it <laughs> i love it well let me ask you about the business i don't want to ask you about your tax returns but you know for the last 20 years we have witnessed the collapse of media in so many ways. And one of the biggest problems is that business model. How can professional journalists, how can professional media platforms make money to stay alive? And I wanted to ask you, not so much about the actual dollars and cents, for sure. but you know, are you seeing a model for the future that CityCast is going to be around, that people can make a living at it, that you can pay your rent? <laughs> so where are we, I guess, is what I'm asking in this evolution that we're living through with the media? We're very privileged, not only because of the organization that CityCast has built, but Graham Holdings, the company behind it. And so at least coming out the gate as a startup podcast, I was a little hesitant, but I've been told at every turn that we've been in good position since the beginning that Graham Holdings and CityCast really believes in what they are pushing. And I believe that their goal is to grow and with enough cities, with enough talent that the model will be sustainable. Very quickly, I believe we've pulled into maybe top 15, 20% performance wise of all podcasts that exist. And so we're running a very professional establishment here. And so our relationships with other media companies, our relationship with advertisers is something that has been easier to organically build because I'm not just a dude doing this podcast in his room by himself with a small team of maybe people who aren't as connected And so I do believe that with enough growth, pretty much anything is sustainable with enough growth. And so if we're able to bring more listeners, more readers to the platform, I think we'll be good in the long run. I mean, it's the best job I've had since I got back to Chicago. It's been sustainable. It's allowed me to do more for my family. I'm in a very comfortable position. And so I try to keep my head down and do the work. It seems like if you have people that can do the work, and you're not also out there knocking on doors to get advertisers. Like you're part of a system exactly. that lets you focus on the content. Like that seems like a key, right? Yeah. And I think we spent a good amount of time. You know, we came out March 17th of 2021. It's now September 2022. I think we spent probably the first four or five, six months in like a soft launch. Like not a lot of advertising, not a lot of marketing. I think we're actually just at the point now where we're really building our marketing strategy out beyond radio ads and other podcasts, hosts that people trust and that they listen to vouching for us. And so I'm really excited to see the rest of this year going into next year. Now that we've built some momentum, now that we got a sense of ourselves, what our show sounds like, and we know what our package is. I'm really excited to see what we can accomplish with a, uh, a stronger focus on that marketing because the trend show people listen to us. They're likely to stick around. We haven't had any major drop-offs 
growth is something that we're constantly monitoring, constantly trying to push up. But I think we all feel very confident and very comfortable with what we've built in just this first year and a half. Yeah. And, you know, quality hopefully brings the people, right? And I guess related to that, there's all kinds of innovation happening all over the place, but I do feel like, and I'm biased because I'm in Chicagoland, <laughs> there's some great things happening in Chicago, whether it's Chicago public media, buying out the Sun-Times, whether it's Block Club Chicago, as you mentioned, whether it's CityCast Chicago. And I did want to ask, like, what's the state of journalism? What's the state of media in Chicago? Is it something in the water? But I feel like it's a special moment happening in the city for sure. At least from my vantage point, it's special. And it's because despite all of the hindrances in this field, the journalists in Chicago who I've gotten to like really intimately sit down with, they got a passion for this work and the relationships and the collaboration that we see. I mean, when I look at some of these names, it's really cool to be able to think as I go down the list of some of the Chicago media, I think a block club and I had just talked with Maxwell Evans, who covers the Southeast side, or Mina Bloom, who's on the Northwest side, and Logan, or Jamie Nesby Golden, who's in my neighborhood. When I think of WBEZ and Sasha Ann Simons and Mar Mariah Wolfoy, really every place I think of, right? A.D. Quig at the Trib, Nader Issa at the Sun-Times, Becky Vivi and Sarah Carp and Seal Pena over at Chalkbeat and The Tribe, right? Uh, which is this Black digital media company. Shout out to Tiff and Morgan and Bella and Tonia. Like, I've been able to have all these conversations with so many amazing journalists who just desire to do the work, who are energized, who are collaborating. It seems that while everyone is trying to find investment and sustain themselves and build out their audiences, it's cool to see that Block Club Chicago in just the last few years has gone from this online media outlet to producing these weekly newsletters to now having their own news program on WCIU to see the tribe take the steps that it has in terms of its newsletter, its online presence, the interviews they've been able to accomplish, how they've utilized social media to get out the message to an often and religiously underserved community of black and brown folks in Chicago. I got to interview Amethyst, a woman who not single-handedly because no one does anything by themselves, but very much on her own merit and her own initiative re-sparked journalism in Harvey with the Harvey World Herald and is the only news outlet in this largely black forgotten township right on the south side of Chicago. And so if anything, I think the moment is being served not particularly or just by the organizational moves and the growth of individual organizations, but the passion that each of these journalists have, you know, Maybe they just don't respond to my emails, but when I reach out to somebody, whether it's Injustice Watch or the Invisible Institute or Southside Weekly or The Reader, people reach out to us with enthusiasm. They want to talk to us. They want to share their story. They want more eyes on the things that are happening in Chicago. And that type of passion is hard to cultivate. It's hard to find, but it's very clear despite the challenges that our journalists face. They are so inspired to do the work. And so I'm really grateful for them making time to come walk me through and teach me about the things that are happening around me. It seems like at some level, the barrier for entry has gone down and a lot of voices that weren't in traditional media are now able to rise up and be heard. So I think that's especially promising. And it's one of the things I actually, I love about CityCast Chicago is I do hear voices that I don't hear on Chicago public radio. 
Yeah. And those barriers, you know, still exist. Going into journalism as a field, studying it in school, breaking into the industry, finding good mentors, finding collaborators, it can still be difficult. Last week, I went to a picnic that was put on by the National Association of Black Journalists, the Asian American Journalists Association, National Association of Hispanic Journalists, the LGBTQ fashion in Chicago, and the spirit of that environment, just how many people know each other, how many people are working with each other, how many people have switched organizations. There just seems to be a healthy desire to do good work in the city. You know, people still got to get paid more and make sure that their organizations take care of them and they feel like they are dignified and looked after and have the right resources and benefits to do their job. And so Chicago organizations still have more to do to make sure that their talent is taken care of and that they feel adequately supported. But on an individual level, they are fighting for what they want, what they need, and are putting out some of the best investigative work, informative work, expose features. I'm reading 25 to 40 articles a day, and I'm loving it because of the people who are behind it and the voices that they capture around the city. Right. There's steps to take, but we've taken some initial ones that are good. Speaking of those voices, and I guess the bigger, the national conversation with misinformation and disinformation, which I always like to talk about with guests on this podcast, you know, how do you see something like CityCast Chicago having a role in that challenge that that's out there before us? We do our due diligence to make sure we're fact-checking ourselves. Uh, but I think there is a few things at play here. One, I think outlets have a responsibility to, again, make the information more accessible, right? Break it down for people. You don't have to spell it out in a way where every episode is an hour long, but give people context, trust people with the facts and the information. And we don't play into sensational journalism. We don't cover stories just for the sake of them. We don't lean into problematic and toxic guests who might improve numbers for a day, but don't actually serve the goal that we have for listeners and for readers to be more informed, to feel more connected. So I feel that our responsibility is to not only put out good information, to challenge incomplete narratives, the way government officials, public officials spin health data and budget numbers and the progress or lack thereof of schools in our community. Breaking down and analyzing data is very difficult. And it often is not just misinformation, but that disinformation that you haven't prepared people to read the information. You haven't prepared people to understand it contextually. You're only giving them so much of the picture that they're not even sure how to to make that information applicable to their lives or see why it's important to their lives. And I think that is one of the roles we play. How can we keep people from being jaded over because they don't give a damn about ward remapping, but they need to know it's only happened 10 times in a century. And this shapes how city resources are developed, how a neighborhood or a community area is seen, what political power looks like and how it's concentrated, what the future of development and zoning and environmental work looks like in our city. I mean, it's 50 people talking about a map that is so confusing to see on its face. Now, I feel like when I talk about the map, I'm bringing a, a healthy amount of let me help you break it down. But I also share your frustration with this. And I think that connection and vulnerability uh, allows us to maybe communicate our information in a way that makes people feel heard or feel seen. Yeah. I feel like there's a particular power with CityCast and with what you're doing in that it does feel like it is like just down the street. 
It's not some big national thing. It's not got, you know, Donald Trump's face isn't showing up on there, Joe Biden, whoever you want to talk about. But when you say this is an issue, it feels like you're talking to your neighbor, to your friend. If you don't live here, we try to, again, make sure that we're explaining some things, break some things down for people who might be transplants, people who lived here their whole lives and are just not tapped in. Somebody who lived here, there are plenty of things I've learned in the last year that I would have thought I should just know this because I live here, but I have a deeper appreciation and now a deeper empathy. I wasn't this person before, but I'm less like, how didn't you know that? Are you not paying attention? Are you living under a rock? No. To live your life in late stage capitalism can often be sole focused on your survival. And let's be real, the minutia of daily politics and daily ward alderman battle and who's retiring today and what restaurant is or isn't opening or how to buy a vacant lot. These things might not help people move from day to day and get through their lives. And so understanding that, I think, has brought me a sensitivity and understanding. But if you're listening, you know, when I listen to CityCast, Denver CityCast, Houston, I don't know what they're talking about. I have no frame of reference. I appreciate the work that they're doing. I love listening to them, but often I feel like an outsider, but that's okay. Cause they're not making a, we're not making a Chicago show for the national audience. We're making a Chicago show that maybe the national audience is curious to learn, but this is going to be from our perspective, from our language, from our cultural background. And when I say our, I'm not always included in that because I'm not the voice of Chicago. I don't own the Chicago narrative. And so I'm exposed to different ways of being in this city every day, which really blows my mind. Yeah. And I'd like to just focus in a little bit more on these upcoming elections, especially with the November yeah. election coming. And just for people around the country that are listening to this to know that that the city has its own election in February, which, it, of course, it purposely has in its own timeline. So what's the strategy? How do you cover a big election like that through something like CityCast? We've been brainstorming. Going into the primary, we took an approach where we would go to the different congressional districts, the first, the third, and really talk about how they've changed, what is at stake in these upcoming elections. And a lot of that was easy to do because uh, for a lot of people, like the first congressional district in Jonathan Jackson, he is likely to be the new first congressman. And so covering it in the primaries really was helpful, especially with a lot of our state races. For all the talk of Darren Bailey and the money he's getting, buddy ain't got a shot in hell. Let's be real. He ain't got a shot. And I'll put my money on it. And if I have to swallow that, I will be disappointed. But for the statewide elections for federal races, I think covering the primaries with a little more general knowledge with like, who are these people? What are the races? What are the significance, the changing of these districts? What will they look like, especially coming out of a census year? And with the uh, aldermanic races or with the city election, when you think about aldermanic races, when you think about city seats, the new police district races, the mayoral race, I think we will focus in on those different levels. Who are the 10 people running for mayor as of right now? When we look at alderman races, we may break it down into categories like who are these nine people who have announced their retirement thus far? Who are these three people, Lopez, Sawyer and King, who are running for mayor? And is it likely? I don't think an alderman has gone straight from being an alderman to being a mayor since the 12th Ward in 1876. I want to say <laughs> their name was Monroe Heath. I may be wrong on that. But 1876, wow. last time. so like that type of history, like, is it smart to run for mayor from just being an alderman? We'll cover the new police districts. Like, what does that mean? Is that real accountability? What does it look like to get closer to an elected school board? 
And so we definitely are going to be talking about these forthcoming elections from so many different angles and vantage points and hopefully having conversations with the stakeholders, talking to people like Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who is the incumbent at this point, talking to potential alder people. We've talked to folks like Nicole Lee, who's an alder woman in Bridgeport in the Chinatown area, Canaryville, which was a long stronghold of the dailies and is now she was appointed because Patrick Daly Thompson was convicted and sentenced to jail for corruption. So what does it look like to be an older person now running their first election? And so the conversation is rife for exploration, but we want to make sure it's in a way that people can see how does this directly relate to me? How has the mayor's race shaped city politics, city culture, city activity and development in just those four years? What does an alderman do? What does an older woman do on a day-to-day basis? And so just knowing that we have that range, everything from like, let me define what this role is all the way up to what is the context of this role. It's so freeing as a team because we know how much we can explore. And it is so fulfilling as an individual because I feel so much closer to this city over the last year and a half. And I'm going to go out into the forthcoming elections. And this will be my first mayoral election, automatic elections since join a city cast and If I know one thing, I never felt as informed as I did going into that booth during the primaries. So I know uh, on a personal level, I'm going to be going into that booth, a more engaged citizen. But because of that, I take my job even more seriously because I now know as somebody who was already tapped in, somebody who was involved in current events by way of being an instructor, I can see how much effort it takes me to feel as informed as I did knowing that this is my job and I get paid to do it and 99% of the people in our city don't, then I'll do that work and provide those resources to people to make healthier and more informed decisions who don't have the time that I have or the job that I have to do it. So I definitely take this very seriously. Well, I look forward to following along as you explore this upcoming election. Well, Jacoby, I thank you so much for your time. I've loved the conversation. I love your work. If our listeners want to connect with you online, where can they find you? They can find us at chicago.citycast.fm. We're at CityCast Chicago on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, You can find us wherever you get your podcast. If you are hearing this for the first time, you know nothing of us. You hear 300 plus episodes and that's intimidating. Some of my favorite episodes are our coverage of the legacy of the Cabrini Green uh, public housing development, which at one point was the largest public housing development in America on the near north side. We've done episodes over cultural staples like Harold's Chicken. We have talked about Paseo Bariqua, which is this now historical landmark in the Humble Park neighborhood. We have talked about house music and stepping, which are between music and dance, two cultural staples. And so find us, look up some of those episodes, but trust me, there is something for everybody. We have gone as far southeast as Eastside and Hedgewish, as far south central as Pullman, as far northwest as Jefferson Park, as far southwest as Mount Greenwood, as north as Rogers Park and Uptown. And so there is a story for every single person who loves or is curious about the past, present and future of our great city. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Jacoby. Hey, thank you so much, Troy, for having me. This is a great conversation. I don't often get to sit on this side of the mic. Circulating Ideas is produced in the suburbs of Atlanta. Views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place of work or the place of work of guests. 
For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice. And help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. To learn more about this episode's guests, sign up for the Circulating Ideas newsletter. You can find the link in the show notes or on the site. Theme music is by Pamela Klicka, and the logo is by Shandy Fry. Thank you for listening, and keep circulating your ideas. Thank you.